0: Hi, everybody. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the movie Seven. Do you remember where you... I don't even remember where I was when I saw this. This was a 1995 film called Seven, and the V is a set, the number seven in in the word. Which I, sometimes I'm good at putting that, and sometimes I'm not. <laughs> but I can remember... Not being able to get off the couch when it was done. Whoosh! Yeah, it really affected me too. So it's a 1995 American neo-noir psychological crime thriller film directed by David Fincher. It's uh, one of my favorite, It's if not the favorite Fincher film for sure. Um, written by Andrew Kevin Walker. It stars Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kevin Spacey, etc. And I mean, my goodness, that's a gaggle of really good actors. So
1: I just want to say that Andrew Kevin Walker was like a, Mm -hmm. I I mean, a nobody, Mm -hmm. um, you know, didn't really make, I can't remember what his, he was a student or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And just that his, his where this came from was just living in the brutal conditions of New York. And he would say that he would literally walk down the street every day and see one of the seven
0: deadly sins going on right in front of him. Hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So, The film tells the story of David Mills, which is who Brad Pitt plays a detective who partners with the retiring William Somerset, who's Morgan Freeman to track down a serial killer. Who's Kevin Spacey who uses the seven deadly sins as the motif for his murders. So if you like fictionalized serial killer films, this would be up your alley. If you like an exceptional tone, I mean, that's, one of the things you always talk about with this movie, right? God, it, it, to me, that... So you have Howard Shore doing the score. Mm-hmm.
1: You have whatever lenses they're using.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's constantly raining. I mean, the sun is never out through the whole film. No. Everything no. is grayscaled. Or so, night. Yeah. Or nighttime. So the mood is is set from before any murder. And then you don't ever see the murders happen. Every single one of these is an aftermath, which I I know we'll get into this later when you talk about uh, the Mandela effect. But so much of what happens is left to our imagination, which is what I think makes this film so creepy is that there's enough there for you to fill in the blanks without it having to spoon feed it to you. And it's it's even more terrifying that's yeah. my
0: personal opinion. No, uh, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, it's very Shakespearean. Most A lot of action in Shakespearean plays doesn't happen on stage. Right. They talk about it afterwards. They do like an info dump to the audience. How they talk about it, and then you have to revisit what you think it may have looked like That's right. in your mind. Your imagination. Terrifying. Super terrifying with this, because not only is that true and that's happening in the film, but then also you just put that together with an exceptional script that like grips you and moves you and paces you and the acting is so good, et cetera. And then you just get this like exceptional combination, which we always want in a movie and rarely get honestly. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was released in 1995 by New Lane Cinema, and it was the seventh highest-grossing film of the year, grossing 327 million worldwide at the time. Uh, critics, you know, loved it; audiences loved it, and it was nominated for the a Best Film Editing Award at the Academy Awards that, that they lost to Apollo 13. I just want to mention that because it was notable in that way. It was dark, um, but they wanted to give it something (laughs) like Mm -hmm. people recognize how good it was so from here on out i have to say that if you haven't seen this film you should it's a great film i think if you're sort of a a listener of ours this will be right up your alley if for some reason you have been waiting to see it or you didn't know about it etc like i would go and see it because now We're going to spoil it for you. But a lot of our listeners have seen this movie or maybe want to rewatch it before they listen to our chat. Although sometimes people will listen to our chat and go, "Ah, I got to watch that again. (laughs) So
1: did you, you rewatched it? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did too. Did you feel the same way watching it this time that you did when you first saw it? No, me neither.
0: No, because when I first saw it, it was mind blowing. Right. Mm -hmm. Because whenever you, at least here's what I feel like whenever I sit down to see a movie I probably saw it in a movie theater. So that's a little different than how I imbibe most of my movies these days. Mm-hmm. And it's got all these big stars and you get let down a lot. You go to the movies and you get let down a lot. Like you go, oh, oh, three stars, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, me. It was, it was good. I didn't hate it. That's kind of the comment, right? Mm-hmm. But this movie was, that was freaking good. And so I remember being blown away. So now I know the story, but I hadn't watched it in a long time. So I wasn't blown away. I was outside of myself with an observer. So I could I could look at it critically mm-hmm. and enjoy it that way. And still enjoyed it. Yeah, I and also being psych. Yeah,
1: there's the psych piece, but also like I was much younger when I watched it and the character seemed much older. I don't know how much of that plays a part. In, Maybe so, yeah. I, I don't know. Sure. I, I'm not really sure. <clears throat> because now I look at that. I mean, I looked at Gwyneth Paltrow at one point, and I go, my God, she was a baby in this. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's, yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. Like, we've seen it, so we knew what to expect. We know some of the big, you know, um, climaxes in the movie. Yeah, the plot part We part already of it. know. Mm-hmm. But I, it still makes me feel depressed. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a mm-hmm. really dark film there's no other than some of brad pitt's um relationship to morgan freeman there's some comedic relief in there in fact yeah i was laughing at one point because there's a scene a lot of real things happened on the set too by the way like when he broke his arm he actually did break his arm and Mm -hmm. that was a real cast and all that but there's a scene where they go back up and he wants to go into the apartment. And Morgan Freeman is like, we need a warrant. This is not good. And he's like, fuck this guy. Dah, dah, dah. Yeah. And he's he's basically holding Brad Pitt back, like, just calm down. Like, like I you're going to lose the
0: case for us kind of thing.
1: I immediately thought of yours and my dynamic. Oh, really? Tell, uh, and, tell me and about just
0: that. The, th- I would
1: have been Brad Pitt in that moment, <laughs> like, on fire. <laughs> I, I want to, you know, get this bastard, blah, blah, blah. And you'd be like...
0: do you want to convict him or do you want to (laughs) yeah
1: but i started laughing so hard because it it, it's a really funny it's it's not like a ha-ha scene no no but it really plays out his morgan freeman's level of stoicism but that also comes not just from experience from stuff that he has shut off and shut down absolutely and, and then and his own anxieties but the way that he's reacts to it because I think there's this idea if you watch it oh the reason he acts this way Morgan Freeman acts this way and Brad Pitt acts this way is because of age and experience there is a certain piece of that there but they also have two very different ways of their anxiety manifesting exactly and their traumas manifesting and then you've got Brad Pitt total hothead like he just needs to to get in there and snap this guy's neck and it that whole
0: scene I was laughing and it was you and me me. I was like this is Shannon and me (laughs) that's amazing yeah I, I totally see it I didn't think of that but I totally see it when you're talking about it because it's like there have been of course times with us where Scooby and Scrappy you're like <laughs> I'm gonna, burp, 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 and I'm like, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. Mm-hmm. You're like, I don't know if that would be a good idea, but <laughs> oh, the story we Or I'll be yelling at somebody on the
1: road, and you'll be like, oh boy, okay. uh, here we go.
0: Or I'll make a joke just to yeah. like cut the. But that scene, um, I love their relationship. I love, I love their relationship. I love our relationship. So yeah. we're all good. Yeah. Uh, it's, it creates a balance, which is kind of great because. And and that also actually brings me to one of the reasons why I very much love this film. And I think why it is beloved, even though it is so dark, because it would be very easy to not like this movie from, for like, from, not from our perspective necessarily, but from like the wider perspective mm-hmm. of darkness, like a silence of the lambs type mm-hmm. of thing where people um, can't believe they like it kind of movie. Yeah. And I think that's deeply rooted in the fact that um, Freeman's character starts out this movie believing the world is full of sin and there's no difference between us and them. He sort of says, like, we all are exactly alike, and mm-hmm. this guy that's killing these people is just like us. He's just a man. You know, he, we could do this any day. And I I actually kind of agree with that. A certain, circ, you know, 10 different circumstances in your life change. We mm-hmm. all might be brought to the brink of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on a journey to, like, despite seeing all the horrors and the evil in the world, where he ultimately decides that the world is worth saving and comes back to the police force. So that's, he has this arc, right? So, like, good movies have character arcs. And you
1: find out more and more about him, and that intentional scene that they have where Tracy, Gwyneth Paltrow's mm-hmm. character, has him over and is like... Yeah. Um,
0: She's the matchmaker. This is David <laughs>
1: instead of Mills, right? Super that, cute. And, and, but that's such an intentional scene for us to get into these yeah. characters deeper and that's a great scene when it comes to it's dinner. It's a great
0: use of character. They use mm-hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow's character because she obviously gets used in other ways in this movie, but they use her as a way to say like the wife made him get together, which is totally like a life thing. Mm-hmm. Like any husband kind of And they didn't <laughs> knows know anybody. That
1: they didn't know anybody, so it was also her way of going, I need to know more than you. I'm going crazy.
0: Oh, yeah. Because she they, was like, people, please. We <laughs> were high school sweethearts. Right. So that arc of um, Morgan Freeman's is really important because and here's what happens is Brad Pitt's arc is the exact opposite. So whereas Brad Pitt's character is young and dumb cop, you know, all bluster, you know, all. Um, need and desire and 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 wanting to go forward. Who thinks there are good guys and bad guys? There's right and wrong, good and evil. He very much thinks as there's this like black and white, and like I'm good and they're bad, and we need to fight the badness. And he he really believes that they are different than us. And they have this great scene in a bar where Morgan Freeman basically says to him like you know if if this guy was satan that might live up to our expectation but he's not he's just a man and so that scene really like shows their differences like kind of in the middle of the movie but Brad Pitt's character you know thinks there's right and wrong and um and that he's on the good side and he's going to crusade and you know he's Morgan, be a hero yeah and Morgan Freeman kind of makes fun of him for that but that's a very youthful kind of look at the world mm-hmm. and and He goes on this and then he goes on a journey and commits exactly the kind of wrathful evil he thinks he could never embody when he discovers his wife's head in a Mm -hmm. box and is pushed to a place in himself that he didn't know existed. And so they flip, right? So Brad's character goes from we're good and the world is good to, and I'm and I'm good, and they're bad to a place of committing something he never thought he would. Mm-hmm. And Morgan's character is the you know the yin and the yang opposite of that of like the world's a bad place, and I'm this hardened old guy who doesn't believe in anything, to like I believe in something, and I actually could keep doing this work because of what's just happened for right. us, which I think is super powerful.
1: It's the char- the way that the characters are developed in this film. Um, I don't think I could have. Watched this more than once. Yeah,
0: if that wasn't there.
1: Because that's the only relief you get is feeling like they're there to, I don't know, they, they're comforting. Yeah. I guess, because there's nothing comfortable about this movie. No. And the way that John Doe, the killer, mm-hmm. le- uses the seven deadly sins against. Mills, mm-hmm. um, just like you were saying, like he's so skilled in the you know getting him to commit wrath, yeah, and and how he puts himself in there. You know, he was envious of Mills' life, yeah. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know, I was younger when I watched this, and I don't think I realized that he played out the last two. He
0: did. Yeah. So so the way it's for those of you you you've all now seen the movie or you've seen it at some point cuz we've we warned you about spoilers, but they do the first five deadly sins with others. So gluttony, greed, sloth, lust and, and pride. And then the last two are played out in the act 3 crisis with um envy, you know, Kevin Spacey's character John Doe is um envy and Brad is vengeance or wrath can i just
1: say so the scene where the head in the box
0: yeah what's in the box
1: yeah <laughs> howard shore so i was saying earlier howard shore had done the score and i i've always you know when i was much younger i'd thought about going into um like music production for films because it's so intentional very um, the songs that we choose the the scores that are made so he used I like these facts. I always bring facts, horror facts with curve. (laughs) Um, He used an orchestra of 90 to a hundred people for that shot alone.
0: Yeah. One shot when they used to use orchestras.
1: That's so incredible to me that he wanted, because the music
0: tells the story. The music is such a big part of this film. Well, and it's what we were just talking about. If it's Shakespearean, then what's on the page what's on the screen is all you get so if we don't this is going to lead me into the mandala Mandela effect because it's like what you see on the screen is what you get and so the music becomes even it's the money shot right that what's in the box and that whole crescendo is the money shot so if you're not going to see the head and you're not going to see the kills. That's why those scenes in those rooms with those bodies Oof. and the death and all of the setup of that, like the production design is intense because you don't see you don't see the what happens, you just see the aftermath and that's exactly what you're talking about. Like the music is so important there because it's the whole drama. It's the
1: heartbeat.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: The music is the heartbeat and and when it gets loud and those crescendos is literally Brad Pitt's pulse mm-hmm. in that moment, which then we're all in it with him. Yep. And I think that goes back to the the character piece again is like that music pulls you so into it that whatever Mills or Somerset is feeling, more so Mills because he's like the he's really the emotional compass of this movie because mm-hmm. he's just so all over the place and reactive. The music goes with his pulse. I yeah. mean, it's really, it, it's
0: so, the, all of the little nuances in this film, it's so brilliant. Yeah, I tell you, Fincher, I mean, this one was out of the park for me. It's um that, you're bringing me back to that moment and, um, you know, Morgan Freeman's acting and his reactions. And it, there's this, you know, one of the great things about having seen this movie before uh, a few times, actually, and then just sitting down to watch it kind of clean is like, there's a moment where you realize he sees what it is and you see all of that on his face. And then I have this little, I'm getting a little chills right now while I'm thinking, while I'm talking about it because of the emotion of it is that he, he realizes you see him realize, and then you see him immediately think of his friend, Brad Pitt, <laughs> his partner, this person he's really gotten to know and care about. And then that's also the moment where you see that he actually cares about him
1: cares about him and the friendship that he developed with her because she discloses a huge secret to him.
0: Right. But then, but it's like, he sees what it is. He, you know, in his, in his very experienced cop brain, he's going to compartmentalize what that actually is and sets it aside and thinks about his friend and what he's got to do right now. And then he also realizes what Jane, John Doe is going to do and what, and he, he like, distills it in this, like, 20-second shot of personal, Morgan Freeman. Personal and
1: professional. Oh, right my there. God.
0: It's it's, it's exceptional. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, how Morgan Freeman hasn't won every award ever. And then he turns, and you get the wide shot of him running. Put the god down, put the god down. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. It just mm-hmm. gets me every time. You're like, oh, shoot. You think, will it end differently this time? I know. Why no? Why no, it won't. The only other thing I was going to say about – um. Uh, the character of John Doe is that you know all that that character has a little bit of an arc as well, which I think is always awesome because a lot of times villains don't have an arc. Mm-hmm. Is that you know all his character wants to do is show the world what evil is, and so that kind of goes in with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman's characters too, right? Like we're talking about who's evil, who's not? Are we evil? Are we not? Can be we be pushed to those limits? And and Kevin wants to wants you know he wants to expose the hypocrisy of the world that he's any different than anybody else which of course we know psychologically he is (laughs) but like to his way of thinking he's not the villain he's he's actually the hero of his own moral crusade
1: yeah he says only in a world this shitty could you try to say these were innocent people and keep a straight face yep so really yeah he's going i'm throwing this back at you how hypocritical Mm -hmm. he's like innocent is that supposed to be
0: some kind of joke right that whole scene in the back of the yes oh it's so great it's so great i mean they're all such exceptional actors that it really helps (laughs) it just really helps i mean i don't i can't even see it's one of those movies where it's like oh if it was anybody else plus at the time this is a time when we all all of a sudden realized that brad pitt could really act Mm -hmm. this was that movie i was like, oh. He's not just a pretty face. Like this is really great. exceptional yeah. work. Um, I wanted to speak briefly or not so briefly. We'll see how it goes. But uh, Kathy mentioned the um, Mandela effect earlier. And, and so I did want to bring that little psych piece into this because this is a movie certainly that exemp- uh, demonstrates that. So what that is, is um, so Maybe maybe telling you how where it came from would help me explain. So it, it's, it got its name from Fiona Broom, a self-identified quote-unquote paranormal consultant, uh, detailed how she remembered former South African President Nelson Mandela dying in the 1980s in prison, even though Mandela lived until 2013. So Broom could describe remembering news coverage of his death and even a speech from his widow about his death none of which happened. Um, if they, if Broom's thoughts had occurred in isolation, meaning if she was the only one that thought that, then we would just, you know, say like, you're just remembered wrong. <laughs> no big mm-hmm. deal. But she found that other people thought the exact same thing, that there were all of these people that felt, that thought he had died in the 1980s. And so, in other words, the Mandela effect is a different way to describe what we would call collective false memories. So, that is a large group of people who collectively always say a particular saying or a particular memory in a certain way, when in reality, you know, and we could debate reality all day long, but let's not do that. No. Um, <laughs> it's a whole other philosophical conversation. The truth is different from the memory, basically. So, false memories and how false memories are created. And so, um, You know, conspiracy theorists believe that the Mandela effect is an example of, like, alternate universes, and there's all kinds of ways to discuss false memories. Also, I'll throw in that we talk about something called confabulation. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's um, a common analogy for confabulation is, quote, unquote, like honest lying, (laughs) basically. And I'm not going to get into the really highly clinically technical explanation for that. Kathy can throw that in if she wants. But it's basically like a person creates a false memory without intending to lie or deceive others, Mm -hmm. um, confabulating the truth. It's a symptom. We we look at it as a symptom. It's something that we assess for. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but instead they're actually really trying to attempt to fill in gaps in their own memory. So it's like if you, and this can happen on all different, uh, in all different spectrum, you know, for some people who are severely mentally ill, they can fabulate as a symptom of their mental il- illness. But for most of us, we can fabulate sometimes because every, what I would assert is that every time we recall a memory, and this is what the brain tells us, we, we, we remember it differently. So we re-remember. <laughs> we re-remember our um, memories. It's sort of
1: like uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about deja vu. Yeah. And with the memory... I mean, it's amazing how much it can play tricks on us because we're pulling from short-term, long-term.
0: We're much more complicated than we think. Well, and we change that memory every time we remember it and talk about it. I- we actually change it in our brain. And so then the next time we remember and talk about it, it's changed from that time. So those memories you have from when you were seven years old or whatever about your mom cooking you dinner or whatever is different now than it was when you were 10 and remembering it. So mm-hmm. plus is, and I, what I I'll just throw in like what I always talk to couples about and what I use in my own experiences is, is that us fighting us fighting about it or you guys fighting about something that happened is completely useless. Yeah.
1: It's your experience versus your experience because how you remembered it, how you. And this is it.
0: where we could get into debating reality, yeah. but it's like reality is funneled through our psyche. And so the way you remember it is neither one of you is reality. Right. It's the way you remember it. Right. <laughs> so, like, let's not fight about who dropped the dish because. Right. It's a moot point (laughs) because nobody saw Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box in the movie seven, but a lot of people thought they did, but the world at large talks spoke at least at the time incessantly (laughs) about how her head was in a box and how they had seen it.
1: Yeah. And there are even some sites that will say that it's shown for a brief moment and it's never shown. And, and that was deliberate because, just like fincher did with the rest of the movie mm-hmm. he wanted he thought it was much more oh my gosh impacting totally. if you left that to your if he left that to your to our imaginations
0: so what this movie does too like point of view and voice is it does not follow john doe's story right and that is the way we get away with not seeing kills not seeing his you know upbringing not seeing the head not seeing any of that is that it we are totally concentrated on the the yin and yang arcs of brad and morgan's stories and john doe is like the insider the trickster that drives the plot and so you've got the character arcs and then you've got the villain driving the plot and those things are all layered i mean if i'm going to break down a script (laughs) That's what I would say. uh Just in general strokes, is that you've got that, and then that drives all of that. And so, what I would say is that, of course, we can't see the head. It has to be because we aren't following Kevin's story. the The, the juice is not in Morgan's reaction to the head. The juice is in Brad's reaction to what happens. Mm-hmm. To in order to complete his seven deadly sins, like mm-hmm. John no Joe. John Doe needs Brad's reaction, not Morgan. So Mm -hmm. it's just really so well done. I can't even tell you (laughs) like it's the complicated uh, nuance of that script is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I got. I think there hasn't been anything like it since it's certainly a well played out script and the actors were exceptional. I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed watching it again. I'm glad we talked about Mm -hmm. it. Do you have anything else to share? I don't. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.